Good morning, church family. Please open your Bibles to Ezekiel 20, 12. Moreover, I also give them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Uh, D. Casper, uh, in 2006, was living just half an hour from 3 ABN and had no clue who a Seventh-day Adventist was. Uh, but praise God, because of 3 ABN uh, ministry, media ministry, he heard of this group of people called Seventh-day Adventists. And as he began studying, he ended up attending, I think, a rise, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a Bible program, ended up becoming a Seventh-day Adventist, and he's been involved in ministry since. And maybe some of you have heard him on 3ABN or you've heard him speak at GYC or ASI. Um, and he has a, a fruitful ministry. And one of the things that he is passionate about is teaching the Word of God to young people. And he has started a program called CORE that at the beginning he's going to share just a little bit about. Part of the reason that he's here at Fletcher is to share uh, with the students uh, about this Bible program, Bible school called CORE. Um, and back in California, uh, I had three of my young adults that ended up going to CORE, and their lives were transformed. Um, I saw an incredible difference in these three young people's lives because of their attending this Bible program called CORE. Um, and so I am so glad that uh, Dee is with us. He got married just a couple of years ago, or a year and a half ago in 2022. His wife Sarah uh, is not here today. But Dee, we're so glad uh, that you're here with us to tell us a little bit about CORE and also uh, to share the Word of God with us. So thank you, Dee. Appreciate it. Appreciate that, Jeff. And uh, yeah, it's a wonderful privilege to be with you this morning. I've heard many things about Hendersonville and... When I was meeting with Jeff yesterday for other reasons, I was like, hey, you know, I've never even been to this church. I've heard about it for years. I know David, uh, but I've never actually been here. And because I wasn't going to be preaching for church, it's like, can I just come over and hang out with you guys for church? And I'm like, sure. And then about an hour later, I got a phone call and said, hey, speaking of coming to our church, would you like to preach at our church? And I was like, well, sure. I got lungs. I might as well use them, you know? So... Uh, so yeah, I uh, am privileged to be here. I've heard a lot about what's going on here. It sounds exciting what God is doing at the Hendersonville Church. And so to have a little, little role to play and just uh, hopefully encouraging you this morning, I'm excited for that. Uh, as he mentioned, I do have the privilege of helping to run a discipleship and evangelism program for the Pennsylvania Conference and uh, have actually just recently started pastoring there. And uh, so we're, we're excited to be here with you. And this program is intended to give young people and adults alike a space to get better rooted in why they believe what they believe. Many of us have kind of had a cultural Adventist experience. Our parents did it, our church does it, our pastor does it, so we kind of do it too. Uh, but when people ask you why, well, because we do it. Yeah, but why? And so part of our program's intention is to give you good whys for why you believe what you believe. In fact, our message this morning will do that. And so uh, we're excited to provide a space for people to encounter Jesus and the character of God at the heart of every single Adventist teaching, Daniel, Revelation, the Sanctuary, Three Angels' Messages, Fundamental Beliefs, while also giving practical classes on how to preach, how to give Bible studies, relationships and sexuality, marriage and family. Uh, we have a heavy emphasis on mental health. 
And so helping our students find a uh, better understanding of how to navigate the difficult chapters of their story and how to help others have that same experience. In fact, we've added a mental health coaching certificate to our program uh, in partnership with the Abide Network and Jennifer Jill Schwarzer. And so a lot of exciting things happening there. So if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing, we've shortened our program to go from being a nine-month program. We've now shortened it to 13 weeks to make it more accessible uh, to all legal adults, 18 and over. Once you finish high school, you can join us. So whether you're uh, in a season of transition of life as an adult uh, or whether you're someone who is... Um, young and you're just wanting to take a gap year in between school. Some people do it in between uh, their um, undergrad studies and graduate studies. Some just take a gap year during school to just refocus on mission and then come back more recharged and better uh, equipped. Regardless, we're in Pennsylvania on the same campus as Blue Mountain Academy. Uh, I, I jokingly told some of the students yesterday that you can just hike the Appalachian Trail all the way up, get off, join us, and then finish up at Mount Katahdin in Maine. You might as well, right? You only live once. Do a through hike and come see us on the way. So the Appalachian Trail is right across the street. It's gorgeous, and it's the best time to come. It's not super hot. We have a beautiful color change. And so that's kind of what we're, we're all about. We're training people to do Bible work, uh, how to share literature, digital media evangelism, health evangelism, mental health, practical Christianity, and public speaking. Um, for those who can't make it, even for the 13 weeks, we have an online option. In fact, we're offering our Three Angels Messages class for free. So if you just go to our website, coreevangelism.com, uh, you can actually have a pop-up window that shows up, and you can take our Three Angels Messages class for free and see the heart of God and the topic of mental health interlaced even within our present truth message of the Three Angels Messages. So we'd love for you to integrate and uh, interact with us that way. And then who's teaching? So Eric Walsh and Chris Holland, uh, James Rafferty, Steve Grabner, Nathan Renner, our conference president, Gary Gibbs. Um, Public Campus Ministries from up in Michigan, uh, campus from Michigan, myself, Rico Hill, Justin Kim, uh, Chad and Fadia Cruiser, David and Callie Buduchata, John Kent, uh, Jennifer Jo Schwarzer, my wife, uh, Sarah Casper, Lee Wellard, Ron Duffield, and many more. So we're excited um, to be able to offer a robust, avenous education that's very biblical, super Christ-centered, and a safe learning environment to grow and heal and build community. We're stoked. We've been doing this for five years, and every year, the testimonies that come out of our Sabbath school of how this program is changing people's lives makes me cry and just rejoice over how good God is. And that Aventus works, guys. It can actually change people's lives for the better uh, when channeled through that lens of righteousness by faith. And so um, if you want to learn more, our website's here. And um, we also have some flyers uh, that Jeff was kind of holding up and even shiny stickers for the kids. Uh, we have flyers that explain more about what we do and you can apply. We have an early bird special. If you apply by April 1st, you can save $250 on tuition. So uh, as you're thinking through uh, as a family, for yourself, for your kids, um, those are some, some hopefully some things to, to consider. So what I'd like to cover uh, with you this morning is kind of what we're about at CORE and something I think that would be a real benefit to all of us as Adventists is spending some time focusing on why we believe what we believe. Um, one of the things that we've been good at as Seventh-day Adventists is communicating when the Sabbath is. It's the seventh day of the week, beginning Friday evening at sundown until Saturday evening at sundown. We can say amen to that, right? We 
unreservedly believe this is what the Bible teaches from creation week, and it will continue throughout salvation history, and we love that truth. And I think because we have a unique and even somewhat different perspective than what is popular today, it's really easy for us to focus on our differences, right? On what's unique and different about what we do. So our emphasis has largely been about when the Sabbath is, and maybe even how to Sabbath, right? What we can do or can't do, or what is most uh, advised and what is not advised, whatever. What I'd like to focus on this morning is what the Sabbath teaches us about God's care for humanity and the why behind it. And I, I, my hope and prayer is that through this feeble instrument's attempts, your appreciation for Sabbath and God's love for you will go up. Um, that's my goal for today. And so what I'd like to do is pray, and then after I pray, we'll jump into our message. So I'm gonna kneel, invite you to bow your heads. Sweet Jesus, I thank you for this privilege to reflect upon the truth of Scripture and the why of Sabbath. And so I just pray that you would send your spirit in an even greater measure into this room. Pray that you remove all distractions or burdens we may be feeling, uh, and that we'd just be able to hear your voice clearly and better understand how you gave us the gift of Sabbath as a reminder of our value. And so speak life into us today, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church family. Please open your Bibles to Ezekiel 20, 12. Moreover, I also give them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. All right, let's begin in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. We're going to have a Bible study this morning. Do you allow for that here at Hendersonville? I'm going to call your pastor tomorrow, so I want to make sure you give the right answer. So Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and what happened? And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And this is where we get this principle of the Sabbath begins in the evening, right, and then into the uh, to sunset of the next day. But throughout creation week, we see this theme. God speaks, and it is so. God said, let there be a firmament, and what happened? There was a firmament. God said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light. But when we get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, the narrative reads differently. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being, as the King James would say, a living soul. Notice it does not read, and God spoke, and Adam was so. Do you see the difference? It doesn't say, let there be an Adam, and there was an Adam. It's not how this process worked. The way in which God creates man especially in contrast to the way that he creates everything else, implies something. Intimacy, care, and value directed towards the one that he created. How do we know that? Well, just look at how the narrative reads. There is only one person on this planet that I'm going to let get that close to breathe into my nostrils, and that's my wife. No one else, I, I, I have a me space, not my space, though maybe I did back in the day, but I have, but I have this kind of like bubble of sorts where there's a, there's a bit of comfort level, right? Now, some people, 
have heard me preach this before, like, I know you don't like hugs, but can I hug you? That's not what I'm saying, okay? It's not that I don't like hugs, but you ever, you ever met the close talkers? You ever met those people who can sometimes not quite understand the, the social boundaries of, uh, you know, whatever the radius is of this, just kind of give me a little bit of room to breathe? Only my wife is going to get that close to me. So the fact that God kneels on the ground and handcrafts Adam and then intimately breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and when Adam awakens, God is in his face, right? God Almighty, the God of heaven, is in Adam's face in a very close connection, and it's in this context a context of intimacy, care, and value that the Sabbath was given to man. We kind of brush through those, those kind of details, and we just say that God gave the Sabbath to man. But there's a reason why God gave Sabbath to man. There's a sense predating that gift of the fact that there's a relationship of intimacy, care, and value. Does that make sense? And because there's a relationship of intimacy, care, and value, God wants to give another gift to Adam, and that gift is Sabbath. In the New Living Translation, there's a very interesting reading of this. I was teaching at a summer camp some years ago, walking through our doctrines in a program called Disciple Trek um, that I helped them start. And uh, this girl read, we were doing the typical Sabbath Bible study of sorts, and Mark 2.27 was one we, we were reading. And this girl read a version I had never, I was like, what was that? It was the New Living Translation, but listen to how this reads in Mark 2.27. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And I love this language because what this implying is God did not give Sabbath as some form of iPad parenting, right? Like just go over there and keep yourselves busy because I need a, I need a break. That's not what God was doing here. He gave it as a gift to meet the needs of man. So what God had in mind when he created Sabbath was not something to keep them busy or to control them, but it was something designed to meet their needs, Sigve Tonstad, in his book, The Lost Meaning of the Seventh Day, talks about this. It's a gorgeous book addressing the topic of the Sabbath. He's a theologian and a physician. So this is what he says. He says, by the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. Very visual, beautiful language here, isn't it? Now, what does he mean by this? And this is kind of scary, right? Because usually when you come to church, you don't get to say anything. You just watch us say something. But I'm going to break those rules here this morning, and I'm going to ask for, for response, okay? I'm going to give you some open book quizzes and other things. I know you don't know about any of this, but it's, it's going to be a blessing, I think. What do you think he means by this when he says that by the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time? What does he mean by that? He sets up camp. That's a good answer. Absolutely. Unpack that a bit more. Now let's join in on that. It's a really good idea. What else? Absolutely. What about the visual imagery? What's that communicating? That God is inserting himself into human time. He's inserting the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. He's making himself accessible and available to you and I in a realm of time that he maybe doesn't live in, right? I'm assuming he doesn't. What that looks like, I'll let smarter people than me unpack. But so in a very real sense, God is bringing heaven to earth on the Sabbath. 
John 17, verse 3 kind of reminds me of this idea. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Let me ask you a question. Do we have to wait until heaven to begin to experience intimate knowledge and relationship with God and with Jesus? Yes or no? No. This is a beautiful teaching, isn't it? We get a taste of the beauty of eternal life, even in the here and now. And that relationship we're building is what we take there. Does that make sense? I think this is a beautiful, beautiful principle and idea. So we don't have to wait until heaven to get to enjoy the benefits of eternal life because eternal life is knowing God personally and intimately and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, and I can begin to experience heaven here. So I think Tonstad is alluding to that here. By the act of hallowing the seventh day, God drives the stake of divine presence into the soil of human time. He's inserting himself into human time. He's making himself available in human time and in an even more special way on the seventh day. Tonstad continues, the reason why he refrains from further activity on the seventh day is that he's found the object of his love and has no need for any further works. Who is this object of his love? Yeah, it's us. I hope you felt that. And has no need for any further works. God found what he was looking for when he made us. And in turn, he had no need for any further works. You ever have something that you lose that's really important to you and you search desperately for it? You ever been in a situation like that? Some of us maybe daily when it comes to our wallet, car keys, or phone. And sometimes our phone is all those things. What happens once you find what you're looking for in regards to the search? You stop. Why? Because you found what you were looking for. Right? God, in a sense, stops what he's doing because he's found what he's looking for, and what he was looking for is us. Notice, even after the fall, that searching didn't stop, by the way. Who, who goes looking for who after the fall? God goes looking for us, right? Now, let me ask you a question. How does that make you feel about God to hear these things? Accepted and wanted, a great answer. Anyone else? Welcome, yes. Desired, valued, loved, absolutely. Right, let's continue. Tonstad keeps going. He says, the seventh day signifies what is most essential to know about God. God ceases from working in order to enjoy the company of the person that he's created. The word Sabbath actually means to cease. Suggesting that the seventh day speaks as much about the value of human beings to God as of God's valuation of human life. And so what lies in the foreground of the seventh day's first mention in the Bible is God's gift and not human obligation. Can we say amen to that this morning? I think this is beautiful. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is not introduced in Scripture beginning in Exodus 28 through 11 and God telling us what to do. The Sabbath commandment in Exodus 20 is a call to remember the Sabbath day. What Sabbath day? The one that looks like what we just read in Mark 2 in giving it to man to meet our needs. Could it be that we have placed an emphasis on what that word remembers means based upon our polemic approach to the Sabbath and we've missed the other elements of what that word remember means. 
right? It's really easy for us to say, well, he put remember there because he knew people are going to forget and see many people have forgotten and we're right because the Bible says remember and we're remembering. And is there some truth to that potentially? Certainly. But do you think that's all that God is talking about? Who's he speaking to when he gives the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20? A people who spent 400 years in an appeasement-based religion in Egypt. We have to do deeds to get the deities to notice us and to get off our backs. And we've lost sight of the fact that God already loved us before we got anything right or did anything right. It's Romans 5, 8, right? God showed his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. The implication there is God loved you before you had any deeds of obedience flowing from your experience. Before you got anything right, God chose to love you and actively loved you. And one of the ways that's communicated is by the Sabbath. And so the call to remember is not just get the day right, The call to remember is also to remind yourself that God already loves you. And Sabbath is a gift of that truth. Does that make sense? Before any deeds of right or wrong are in the equation. We'll unpack that more as we go. So, to remember the Sabbath then is to remember that I love you. That I desire to have time with you and I desire your company. Yeah? Tonstad closes. It is as if we hear God speaking, I am ceasing on the seventh day, not only that you may acknowledge and love me, but in order to make it known that I recognize and love you. Again, let me ask, how does that make you feel about God when you hear that? Valued. This implies that someone wants you. Someone values you, and guys, this is how you're supposed to feel every seven days. God calling you to remember the Sabbath is not just make sure your GPS goes to the right building on the right day. Though I'm thankful you're doing that, and I'm sure he is too. And you look great, by the way. But maybe part of that call is to remember that someone loves you and values you and is longing to connect with you on a personal level. Is it possible that we can forget that? That we can be remembering while actually forgetting at the same time? Do you follow my logic there, right? So we got to the right place. We wore the right clothes. We were kind to people. We didn't say what we really thought about them but we never actually remembered the Sabbath as God intended. Can that happen? Yes, I think so. So the entire purpose of the Sabbath is to give you a weekly reminder of this. Your life matters. You have significance in this world. You're the object of a divine love, an unending love. And this precious gift of rest is available to every human being Even after the fall, we have access to this level of fellowship with God. Are you thankful for that today? Amen. But this is one of the reasons why I cannot subscribe to being a naturalist. I am not some biological mistake, some fluke of nature, the product of many fortunate circumstances for few, many unfortunate circumstances for most, with lots of death, deprivation, destruction, and disease, that eventually leads to me living a life that won't matter at the end of the day, and I'll just return to fertilizer on the ground, and no one will care. I've I've given this a little bit of thought, just so you know. 
There's nothing appealing about that, is there? Because every person at the core of our being wants to be fully known and fully loved. We all want that. That's a need all of us have as humans. We want our life to matter, and atheists and naturalists want a life that matters and to be loved. Experientially, it isn't livable. And so the Sabbath comes along and is another reminder to tell you that your life does have significance. You do matter. You are important, and you are loved. You were handcrafted by a God of love. There is no one like you in this world. You're the only you available to God, and how you live your life matters. And only you can do what you can do for the glory of God. You are one of one. There are no others just like you. And weekly we're reminded of this. Why? Because we're so prone to forget it. And there's an accuser of the brethren who says, you don't matter that you came from monkeys, and when it's all said and done, no one cares, and it's all a waste. So just do you, get yours, because that's all that there is. And so what I love is God gives the gift of the Sabbath to humanity to keep us grounded. Did you know that we're actually told in the spirit of prophecy that had man continued keeping the Sabbath as he intended, there would be no naturalists? Did you know that? And it's because you would continually reflect upon God's goodness and His grace to you, right? You would recognize His creative hand in the world around you, and so forth. So what I want to do now is I want to look at three memorials that the Sabbath uh, represents. Okay, how many? Three. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. I'm sure you've read this verse maybe once or twice in your life. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Now, this is going to be an open book quiz. So what does that mean? Keep your Bibles open. And I will only accept, and I'm a Bible teacher, just going to forgive me, but I will only accept answers from the text. We are so prone to just give answers, but not the answers that are in the text, right? This requires critical thinking, which makes you uncomfortable, which is good for your growth. Okay, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day, God says, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So here's the question. Why did God give us the Sabbath according to this verse? The answer is in the text. I will only accept an answer from the text. So what does the text say? It's really difficult. For in six days, God made the heavens, the earth, and so forth, right? And so we are to keep Sabbath as a memorial of the fact that we did not create ourselves. This is the first reason why God gave us the Sabbath and what it's a memorial of. But it's not just a memorial of creation at large. It's also a memorial of our individual creation. And I think this is important. I have a friend, I won't go into the weeds too much in his story, but I've got a really close friend of mine who the circumstances that led to him coming to an existence in this world were not planned. In fact, his mom and his mom's boyfriend were together. His mom's boyfriend, they were all at a party. The mom's boyfriend said, hey, I, I need to go, but the mom didn't want to leave. And so he said, okay, and he asked his friend to bring his girlfriend home. And 
he took advantage of her and did things that should not be done, and that event is what led to my friend coming into existence. And as he came into existence and grew up, thing after thing after thing after thing went wrong in his life. And the thing that always came to mind every time something bad would happen, someone would break into his house and steal his stuff, someone would do this or do that or do this, it always was because, you know, I just wasn't supposed to be here. The reason why all these bad things happened to me is because I was never supposed to be here because of the circumstances of how I came about. But then the gospel came into his life and gave him a reason for existence. And one of the things the Sabbath teaches us is that every single one of us is handcrafted by God for a purpose, no matter the circumstances that led to us being here. Now, that does not mean that God endorses the means through which those things happen, but what it does mean is there's a God in heaven involved in the creative process who has a specific purpose to bless you and to use you to be a blessing. And Sabbath is meant to be a memorial of that reality. Are you following? And it's also an opportunity to partake of the grandeur and the beauty of what God has done. Right? This is one of the reasons why Adventists love hiking. But here's what we're told about this idea of partaking of the beauty of creation and why that's important on Sabbath. Listen to this. This is from a book, Steps to Christ, a great book on how to know God better. The poet and the naturalist have many things to say about nature. But it's the Christian who enjoys the beauty of the earth with the highest appreciation because he recognizes his father's handiwork and perceives his love in flower and shrub and tree. No one can fully appreciate the significance of hill and vale, river and sea, who does not look upon them as an expression of God's love to man. You can look at it and be speechless and spellbound. Anyone been to Acadia National Park? Oh, man, it's gorgeous, right? One of the most breathtaking experiences of my life happened when I went on a sunrise hike there on my own. Um, And it's a beautiful place. But you can't fully appreciate the beauty of creation without understanding where it comes from and that it literally is a handwritten gift from God himself to you. Whatever your favorite thing may be. I used to have a, so where I live, cardinals are my favorite bird. Um, and just this beautiful, red, vibrant bird. And every day, uh, the sliding glass door outside of my dining room, a cardinal would come and would kind of fly up to the window and like flitter up the window and then drop down, and then flitter up the window and drop down. I called him Freddy. I used to be a Cardinals fan growing up, and Fred Bird, and so I called him Freddy. And, uh, and then this, and then I, anyway, I, this, this cat started showing up outside um, that Michael Carducci talked my wife into adopting, and now we feed this cat all the time, and it's all Mike's fault. But anyway, this, uh, he is kind of cute now. I, I'm not just a big cat person. I'm more of a dog guy. But anyway, he's hungry. He's outside, so we feed him. And my wife actually built him a house this week with a box, and he won't get in it. And it's just like, this is why I don't like cats. Um, so pretentious. So anyway, he wants in our house. He won't live in the house that we gave him. I put tin foil on everything. He didn't care. And uh, I even helped her, so I'm, I'm overcoming my less than like of cats. Freddy doesn't show up anymore because the cat hangs out outside of the door, so I miss Freddy. But every day Freddy showed up, to me it was a reminder of God's love for me. And I still see him in the tree line, I'll still hear him peep and chirp and stuff, but it was a reminder to me that God loves me and God cares about me because it's something that I enjoy. We see this again in the book Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, another dynamite book. In the loveliness of the things of nature, you may learn more of the wisdom of God than the schoolmen know. 
On the lily's petals, God has written a message for you, written in language that your heart can read only, so there's a prerequisite for you to recognize it, as you unlearn the lessons of distrust and selfishness and corroding care. Let me ask you a question. Does the Sabbath address the issue of distrust and selfishness and corroding care by chance? Absolutely, right? It's meant to cause us to slow down and take in these beautiful gifts that God's meant to give us. Now, why has he given you the singing birds and the gentle blossoms? You ever wondered about that? But from the overflowing heart, love of a father's heart that would brighten and gladden your path of life. Listen to this. All that was needed for well, all that was needed for existence to keep you alive would have been yours without the flowers and birds. You ever think about that? You could have lived in a monochrome life where there were no beautiful sounds, no beautiful colors, everything was brown and flat, like certain areas of the world, I won't say. Um, I'm from the Midwest. It's not that great. And then people got mad at me when I said, it's like, I live here. I know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not, if you get to Acadia and you get to California and Yosemite and other places, the Midwest has its blessings, but it's not near as awesome and majestic as those places, right? We have cows uh, and no mountains, but there's, there's beauty even there. Amen. I'll acknowledge that. Anyway, We're told that God, why did he give you these things, right? All that was needed for existence would have been yours without the flowers and birds. But God was not content to provide what would suffice for mere existence. Don't you love that? He's filled the earth and sky and air with glimpses of beauty to tell you of his loving thoughts for you. And the beauty of all created things is but a gleam from the shining of his glory. And if he's lavished such infinite skill upon the things of nature for your happiness and joy, can you doubt that he will give you every needed blessing? Do you love that? You know what that tells me? He didn't give us these things so that we can live. He gave them to us to remind us that we are loved. And so the first memorial that the Sabbath provides us is it's a memorial of creation, but not just creation at large, your creation. So the Sabbath should be a day where we partake of the beauty that God has made and to worship Him as the Creator, but it's also a day to worship Him for the fact that He is your Creator, that He made me. I'm not my own. I should slow down, pump the brakes, and take care of the body that God has given me. To not be so filled with the cares of this world that I forget the fact that I'm special and the object of God's divine love. To not be so busy trying to prove my worth and prove myself to the world around me and to receive and rest in the worth I already have in Christ. This is a big one for us, isn't it? We can be so prone to work our guts out till our hands bleed at the expense of a healthy family home and work-life balance. Um, we can find ourselves working, working, working to prove to our gym coach in high school who said we were a loser and never make anything of ourselves, to family members who spoke unbelief into us, to everybody else, to God, to ourselves. We're trying to prove to everybody we're worth something. And God says, stop that foolishness. Stop it. Just stop and rest in the fact that you're already something to me. The Sabbath is meant to be that reminder to you and to me of this reality and that that amazing God wants time with me. Amen? So the Sabbath is a memorial of the fact that we did not create ourselves. Let's go to the second one, Deuteronomy chapter 5. The word Deuteronomy basically means the second reading of the law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we see another listing of the Ten Commandments, but it's phrased differently. 
Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 12. This is what it says. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor your, any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. We'll come back to that. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, open book quiz again. Why is it that God gave us a Sabbath according to this verse? And I need the text to be your answer. It's a memorial of redemption. The Sabbath is a memorial of redemption that we can't save ourselves. Do you think this would be a good way to communicate our view of the Sabbath in our public meetings, by the way? What is one of the most consistent arguments against our Sabbath keeping? You're trying to be saved by your works, by keeping the law. We're told here, we're resting in the fact that we're already saved not because we're trying to achieve salvation. Are you following? God gave the Ten Commandments to a people He had already redeemed, right? Paul actually alludes to Egyptian bondage and it being a type of our bondage to sin in the New Testament. So Deuteronomy's charge is to keep the Sabbath because we can't redeem ourselves, we can't save ourselves. So we can't create ourselves and we can't save ourselves. Sabbath rest is entering into true and complete rest in Christ. We agree with our evangelical brethren on that. It is a picture of our rest in Christ, but that doesn't negate our observance of it because it was given as a gift to communicate His love for us and to build a relationship. Does that make sense? So we're spending a day to acknowledge that, to enjoy that, and to reflect upon that. And we would do well to reflect upon these things and not just attend church, as we alluded to earlier. It's possible to show up to Sabbath and not do Sabbath as God intended, isn't it? Again, right? Show up at the right time. Maybe we even show up before the mission story. Like the deacons are opening the door when we get here. And we're wearing the right clothes. We stay the whole time. We bring six dishes for potluck. And we don't say the mean things about sister so-and-so that we feel that way about sister so-and-so. And we don't make any other comments. And then we get in our car and we drive home. And we never really stop to take time to tell God how thankful we are that He created us for a purpose and that He wants us here. We never took time to reflect upon the fact that I can't save myself, I need a Savior, and thank God that I have one. Are you with me, guys? We can show up to Sabbath and not do Sabbath as God intended. So Sabbath is to be a day that we reflect upon the fact that we didn't create ourselves, we can't save ourselves, and also sharing this beautiful truth with people to loose their burdens and to bring rest to their souls. Ministry is a reasonable thing to do, right? Doesn't mean that every waking moment of Sabbath needs to be involved in doing ministry, but if you can be engaged in some means of alleviating people's burdens, it can be a blessing. Now, I want to come back to this word loose. In John chapter 5, I'll tell you a story. Another one of my mentors uh, and teachers was a, a baby Adventist, had just kind of learned the truth, came from kind of a not-so-religious background, and there was this guy walking through South Dakota, where one of these mentors was, and uh, this guy was walking from coast to coast, carrying a cross, trying to increase awareness about 
the, the plan of salvation and stuff. So there were two wheels at the base of the cross, and this guy's just hoofing it, walking across the country, carrying a cross. So my teacher says, hey, man, that's so cool and uh, good for you. And he's like, by the way, what do you think about the Sabbath? Because he just found out about the Sabbath. He's like, the Sabbath? The Bible says that Jesus broke the Sabbath. And he's like, no way, dude, the Bible would never say that. That guy says, go read John 5 and verse 18. So we can read that right now, John chapter 5 and verse 18. And it says, therefore, this is after Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. And verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, some people here are getting uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. We'll deal with that later. So in John chapter 5 and verse 18, what's going on here? Now, my, the guy that taught me, he was kind of caught off guard by this. And he was like, whoa, they didn't, uh, didn't show me that one in the Bible studies. And he didn't know what to do with this. Then he began doing some deeper studying. And the word for broke here is actually the word luo, and it means to loosen or to untie. This kind of now leads to a question. And by the way, this is like the only time the translator used this word for break. Um, and it seems as it was just a, a misappropriation of what, or misinterpretation of what that verse should actually read. But they felt like, well, they wanted to kill Jesus for loosing the Sabbath. That doesn't make sense. So they probably want to kill Jesus for them thinking that he broke the Sabbath. But here's something really important for us to reflect upon as a people. Why is it that Jesus would need to loose or untie the Sabbath? So the Jews had actually developed 39 Sabbath laws. And you think of the history of Israel. God tells them what to do. He first reveals who he is, and then he tells them what he asks of them, which I think is a good principle for us. Revealing who he is first. I'm the Lord God, I'm the Lord your God who brought you to the land of Egypt. Then he tells them what he's asking of them, and he'll even empower them to do that. They realized every time we disobey God, we get a whooping and go into exile. Now, how many people in this room like getting whoopings? Anybody? I didn't think so. They didn't either, and they finally realized it. Let's just stop breaking God's law, and we won't get whoopings anymore. Now, they didn't really deal with the heart issues of why they were breaking God's law. What they decided to do was the other carnal thing we can do as fallen human beings. They built man-made laws as a protective fence around God's law. So that way, we won't get anywhere close to breaking God's law. So they had 39 Sabbath laws that basically said stuff you couldn't do. You can't walk a certain distance. You can't put the finishing stroke in any document. You can't spit on the ground because that will be plowing the soil. All kinds of stuff. So this, the Ellen White actually has a section in Desire of Ages. I always call it Sabbath killers, but that's not what she calls it. But basically, she just goes in on the Pharisees and how they completely ruined the Sabbath for the nation. They were so focused on what you can and can't do that they missed the entire message that we've been talking about this morning of the why behind the Sabbath. It felt more like a burden and a yoke. So Jesus, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus because he was loosing or untying the Sabbath from the burdens that they had placed upon it. Do you think it's possible that that would also happen even maybe, maybe, in our own beloved movement? Is it possible at times that the way in which we've communicated the Sabbath has been more about what we can't do or shouldn't do than the blessing of what we actually have access to? And I'm not listing any specifics. I'm not in any camp. I don't live in any ditches. I don't like either one of our camps. I just try to follow the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and be a good person through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and living the life that God asks. Amen? I don't have a camp. I don't have a ditch. But I think it would be helpful for us to just ask the question, 
What is my relation to the Sabbath, is, and is my association to it more negative and prohibitive than a day of blessings and reminders of God goodness, God's goodness towards me? Does that make sense? Some food for thought, I think. All right, let's go to our third memorial. So Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, let's turn there. Ezekiel chapter 20, look at our third memorial. We're almost done. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Ezekiel 20 verse 12, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. What's this a memorial of? Sanctification, absolutely. So Sabbath is a sign that God is the one who's promised to transform us and set us free from the burden of sin. Who's thankful for that today? 100%, right? Ezekiel 36 alludes to this. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I don't do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you've profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you've profaned in their midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I'm hallowed in you before their eyes. Israel was a bad example. God says, I'll fix that when you look like Jesus. And how's he going to do it? He continues on by communicating that he will take responsibility to ensure that his people overcome and are transformed through the rest of the chapter. I'll bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and judgments to do them. God actually promises through a righteousness by faith experience, receiving the spirit to empower us to live the life that God requires what God requires, He also provides all His biddings, our enablings. And so this is what He's promising to do. And so Sabbath is also a reminder to us to stop getting so anxious over whether I'll be good enough or be able to change. God is promising to empower us to overcome through the power of His Spirit, and we should reflect upon that, and we should rest in that. Sabbathing is our act of protest against the lies of Satan and his ideology that man can save himself and that God is selfish. Us Sabbathing as God intends is an act of protest against that. Let me ask you a question. Nothing about this sounds like legalism, does it? We don't Sabbath to be saved. We Sabbath to rest in the fact that we're already saved and are being transformed by his grace. Can you say amen to that this morning? E.J. Wagner, one of the great gospel preachers of the late 1800s, comments on this in his book, The Everlasting Covenant. That book is dynamite, by the way. He says this, Keeping the Sabbath is not a duty to be discharged in order to obtain the favor of God, but the keeping of the faith by which righteousness is accounted to us. There is no room for the objection that we ought not to keep the seventh-day Sabbath because we are not saved by works, for the Sabbath is not a work, it is rest. God's rest. He that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his, Hebrews 4.10. True Sabbath keeping is not justification by works and is utterly disconnected from any idea of such a thing. It is, on the contrary, justification by faith. It is the absolute rest that comes from perfect faith in the power of God to create a new man and to keep the soul from falling into sin. Amen? I think it's a beautiful, precious gift. The last thing I would just share with us as, as food for thought this morning is that for many of us, busyness is a Sabbath killer. And Satan loves this. 
We find ourselves being more like Martha, but we're kind of uncomfortable with the Marys in our midst. Now, this is a difficult tension and balance, isn't it? To just absolutely do nothing for God, to take no time to alleviate people's burdens, and to sleep all day would not really be the ideal scenario, right? But others of us are so jacked up on programming from Friday night until Sabbath evening, we never really took any genuine or sincere time to commune with God, to reflect upon His goodness towards us as Creator, Redeemer, and the one who's promised to transform and change us by His grace. And we've actually missed a blessing, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, and we never really found rest for our bodies or our souls which is why we have the Adventist day of rest of Sunday, right? We'll try to sleep all day then because we're too busy with programming on the seventh day. Not that you should sleep all day on Sabbath either. You get my point, right? Hopefully you're understanding where we're coming from here. I think it would be wise of us to just kind of reflect upon what is taking up my Sabbath and am I really ever taking time to talk about and think about what we talked about this morning? Do you think that's worthy of, of reflection? I think so. I think these are good biblical reasons to kind of reflect upon why we individually are choosing to Sabbath and whether we're really receiving the blessings that God longs to give us. Does that make sense? Has this made sense this morning, yes or no? Have we seen this from the text of Scripture? Then my question to you would be, how will you respond to what you've heard? And I hope it will lead to some kind of introspection and maybe some replanning of sorts in how to navigate your Sabbath. Thank you for this chance to be here with you this morning. I want to pray a blessing over you as you seek to kind of have this experience. God in heaven, I thank you that Sabbath is meant to be, uh, it's meant to meet the needs of people uh, and not just a list of requirements for us to fulfill. And so I pray that we would truly enter into that experience, that we would know what it means to experience righteousness by faith on Sabbath and what it means to experience righteousness by faith in a genuine way of resting in the accomplished work of Jesus and allowing that to transform our works into things that are holy and pleasing in your sight. I pray that you would cover our sins with the blood of Jesus. Lord, I also pray that you would forgive us for many of us maybe being too busy for you on Sabbath because we're busy working for you but never really spending time with you. So I pray you'd help us to find that proper balance of Uh, alleviating suffering and ministering to people's needs while also ensuring our own tank is full. And so help us to find that proper balance, I pray. Bless this congregation and the families they represent. I pray that you would just pour life and love and peace into them in this new year. And I pray that you'd provide for their needs. And I pray that you would guide their shepherds as they seek to love them and point them to you as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.